was good y'all welcome back to the cycle 365 this is episode 8 of our youth sports mini series so my name is simon voyanos usually i'm the one running uh this mini series and whatnot or hosting it to some sort of degree but you know these next two weeks i decided to hand it over to cody because he has some great connections with some athletes who are a part of the lgbtq community um first off happy late pride month <laughs> i feel really bad that we didn't get to do something in june but we're doing something now and so we got two weeks dedicated to it for the mini series episode and you know cody here he's going to interview two of his good friends in anthony and cody as well and i assume it's going to be really good i'm just starting to edit this but yeah so tune in and here is cody with anthony's interview first Welcome to the Cycle 365 mini-series on youth sports. Today we're going to be talking about LGBTQ plus representation in sport as well as youth sport. And joining me today, we have a very special guest, Anthony. Anthony, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Hi, I am Anthony. My pronouns are he, him, his, and I am very excited to be here. Um, I'm talking about go-karting and the racing community and being gay and part of that. Well, we're very excited to have you on and uh, very excited to hear your perspective and your thoughts and everything. But one thing that we do here at The Cycle every time we have a new person on is we ask, we, we kind of want to get to know you as far as like sports go. So we'll start with what is one of your favorite memories having played sports? So for you, karting, what, what are one of your what are what is the one or the fondest memory that you have yeah. carding yeah so there there's a ton because it's like the one place i get to be totally with my dad and like it's me and him against the world but once it's those victory moments it's one specific memory i think i was probably about 10 and i Finally had won my first race in this bigger kid class Might have been more eight because I, I moved up early, but um It was like eight and it was a bigger kid class and I finally won this race down at one of my favorite tracks in Colorado Springs and I came off the track and My dad was just so happy and he picked me up and like swung me around and I was in all my gear and stuff and it was just Everyone was cheering and it felt so exciting and loving and like everyone was rooting for me and I had finally done something that I didn't know if I was going to do for a couple of years and I did, I achieved a goal of winning and that really set, it really honestly was the hook to keep me there for the, well, rest of my life up to this point. So yeah, that's honestly one of the greatest things I've felt. That's great to hear. And that put a smile on my face. We love a positive youth sporting experience, right? Mm -hmm. You know, not, not everyone is blessed to have those, but I'm really glad that you got to have one of those and, you know, that it's had such an impact on your life even up until this point. Yeah, it's, it's really honestly something that's kept that hook because there have been bad memories, obviously, but... We, we brush past those. <laughs> good, good. That's good to hear. And then 
follow-up question i don't know how much if you watch karting or if you watch racing or if you watch other sports but do you have a favorite viewing experience of a sport yes i i've thought a lot about about this um we always went to colorado national speedway with our karting club with because it originally was a youth karting club it's kind of evolved to a different place now but it was an originally a youth karting club so we would take everyone and we'd all decide this weekend we're going to colorado national speedway and we're gonna there's gonna be fireworks it's gonna be super fun and we all would go and those like we got to watch all the bigger cars like they weren't carts it was cars got to race around the track and always they always had this fun little um different like they had trains which is like two cars put together and the back guy has the brake um and the front guy is the gas and hmm. there would be buses and so all the kids obviously were super into that but it was we all were very into just all being there together and it's that sense of community that kind of then also unified racing together but watching those races with everyone were always so great that sounds really awesome and i i definitely know another great reason to have you on is we haven't talked about karting or any type of motor racing or anything like that any racing really here on the show so I'm definitely excited to get your perspective on that. And that kind of brings me to our next question. I mean, you've talked about it just a little bit, mm -hmm. but just a little bit more in depth. What is your sports background playing or working around sports? And, you know, I guess specifically take us through the karting world and what that kind of looks like. Yeah. So um, in go-karting, usually you start around age five. That's kind of the baseline of when you start. And that's when wow. we started, yeah, five years old, you get to go in like carts that can go up to like 30, 35 miles an hour. Oh my gosh. Yeah, they zoom pretty quickly. It's super fun. Um, so a lot of the time you're, that's when you're allowed to race. So my brother and I both started when we were four going out practicing and parking lots and stuff, just trying to get the basics down because you're learning how to drive at five years old which is just crazy. Yeah, that's um, insane. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of crazy. So I started when I was five and um, we were in, it's called Kid Carts. It's it's pretty simple. Five years old to like seven, I want to say, is Kid Carts. And within that time, we were in a club that was kind of falling apart because of bigger team mentality. And it was like pay really pay to win like the more money you spend the more um you win and the better you do the more money you spend and so my parents went up to the club owners and the track owners and were like this is wrong and this is bad and we're leaving and they were like well what are you going to go do so my parents started their own club um when i was around seven eight years old and we started with like in this kids club because that was the other thing. It was adults and kids. So the kids were kind of brushed off to the side because adults can pay money to race 
And my parents are like, this is about the kids. Like this is all it's about for us. So they created this club and my brother had just started then racing. So we were in different classes. I had moved up to junior one is what they called, they call it still. Um, and so we moved up after my parents made this club, uh, Cart Kids of Colorado is what it was called. And we had like a total of maybe 10 racers in three different classes, I want to say. Um, and at its peak, I believe we had like 60, 70 carts out there. Oh my. Yeah. So they, they really grew it. It was their, uh, it was such a labor of love for my parents. They're, um, and I went from five years old racing in this old club, then about seven, eight, I was in Cart Kids, turned into Colorado, uh, what was it? Colorado Junior Karting Club. That's when it changed over to that. And it, I was in it until I believe I was 14. And then that's when you kind of age out is 14 years old of like youth level stuff. I was 14, 15 is the kind of last year, but my parents gave up the club that last season because of, I was getting older. My brother obviously was getting older and they knew we were gonna be aging out and they wanted to move on to bigger, better things. So we moved up to a, car level my brother went first actually because my parents gave me the option do you want a street car or do you want a race car and i was like dude i want to i want to like have some freedom and drive and go to work and stuff yeah so i was like street car i'll wait a year on racing so i kind of took that year off and then 2015 ish is when we started both of us we raced these cars called formula firsts on bigger tracks, they're like uh, bullet cars. They're, you know, Formula One, IndyCar. It's like that without the wings on the front and the back. So it's straight up just a bullet. Mm -hmm. um, did that for a season or two. Uh, we got the lovely opportunity to race at Indianapolis on for a vintage race on the road course there. Wow. Um, yeah, it was super awesome. It was, but uh, that weekend was kind of crazy. It was hectic. And then that Sunday for the main event, we we started up. There was a huge wreck in the beginning. I hit the wall at a hundred miles an hour. It was pretty ridiculous. And oh. I turned to my dad and I go, we're going back to karting. I am at least. So my brothers moved on to spec Miatas and I went back to karting and I've been back for three or four seasons now. Um, and it's been crazy competitive beyond what I ever, ever had experienced in karting. So it's been super awesome, really challenging, something that we hadn't felt in a very long time. Usually it'd be like, We'd have one, maybe two competitors racing for the points championship, but in these adult level classes, you are, it's like a seven person race for the lead always. And it's been crazy and fun, but challenging. And that's kind of 
where we're at now. <laughs> yeah, I saw you had a race. Was it last week or two weeks ago? Yeah, it was like two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Yeah. So still, still doing it. Mm-hmm. Still in karting. I know that this is a little off script, but how would you say youth karting differs from adult karting? You talked about competition a little bit. Do you think that's like a bit more individualized or do you think that's a pretty fair statement across the board that, you know, there's, it's a lot stiffer of competition at the adult level versus the youth level? I would say it's still pretty much that way. Um, Something that's happening right now is there are way too many engine types and classes that are happening. So it then splits that competition up even more. So it is maybe even five carts per class. Um, so it's not super heavy competition in youth classes, but adult classes, there are really only three, four maybe. So it's much more competitive. The older you get, but in youth karting, there were a lot of battles and it did feel personal down there. Like now as an adult, it's just racing, but it, we did have a lot of good battles happening at the youth level. It just wasn't as competitive year long. So would you say that that's kind of like a numbers thing, or I guess I'm just not really sure what participation looks like in karting being as you know i i was never in it and the most racing that i would see you know and, and this wasn't even on the youth level was was like bandamere you know having lived yeah. in, with colorado that's kind of like the most exposure that i got to racing here in colorado yeah totally so it's it was a numbers thing i mean it's more and a money thing kid it's a kid sport when you're a kid parents i mean parents can be very crazy like i will say carding parents are <laughs> one of the craziest parents i've ever met um but it it's more of like oh well i'm not gonna spend thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to get my child to be at a certain level. It's it's a money game usually. Um, when I was younger, it would be like, maybe we can't race this weekend. Or um, maybe, you know, it's too long to travel to Grand Junction to race this race. And it never was for me or my family because we were running the club, so we were required to be there. But like some families just, we're like, nah, that's not worth it. Or we're on vacation this weekend. Or So it's more of like, kids are still going to be kids and they still have that childhood that you have other things you're doing. You're still kind of learning what's happening. And adults, this is a hobby that gets a little more competitive than, like, it's a sport. Like, you know, um, it's more than just, a hobby not as much as you're not getting paid i've never once gotten paid winning a race but it is in our blood and when you're an adult it's so much more heated because it's much more of that mind game out there and there are a lot of people they 
we're old enough to understand how to team up with people and kind of have that off-track relationship that makes it so we are more competitive. Um, yeah, and I can go into hours and hours and hours of conversation about teams and all of that, but don't know if we've got time for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I appreciate the insight that that you offer. Mm-hmm. And I, I also appreciate, you know, your focus and you being here, especially as far as, you know, we haven't personally here on the cycle, we haven't had any LGBTQ plus representation on the show. So I wanted to appreciate you for coming on and offering your perspective on that. So I guess we'll kind of transition into that and then we'll talk about that and its relationship to carding and you know kind of your personal experience and if you're if you're comfortable with sharing you mind if i ask how did you come yeah, out totally so it was i was fortunate enough i think i've thought about this a lot i came out when we were in formula first so it was summer of 2016 i it was after i believe yeah it was after the wreck so i had decided that i wanted to go back to karting but it was actually no the wreck was 2017 sorry getting my dates all mixed up um but summer of 2016 we went to europe i thought everyone was gorgeous thought i was uh bi but i came to realizations that year in school that i was just a gay man but it was it was just because we went to Europe and everyone was so gorgeous. And I was like, what is that feeling? And it was, it was a hard process. I came out to my friends first, um, being in a, just a totally sidetrack thing, like being in a Catholic household, it was hard. Um, and more conservative family and more conservative neighborhood in general. And just where I'm at, location-wise, is much more conservative uh, mm-hmm. populace and population. And so it was hard. Um, I wore my label with pride almost to a fault. I think a lot of the time when you come out, um, many people make that who they are and that is all of who they are. Um, I fell into that really quickly, so I was very much the stereotypical gay guy at school. Um, I came out to my mom, so I came out to all my friends in like August of 2016. Came out to my mom in October, and it was a hard conversation to have, but it all worked out, you know. We're friends now, we talk all the time about all different sorts of issues and have good discussion on LGBTQ issues and, you know, all different sorts of things like that. But it took another year, I believe, to come out to my brother. So it was like 2017, fall of 2017. Mm -hmm. And then I still have not technically had that conversation with my dad me being me and the way I look and act as a human 
there's no way he can't really know because I do fill a lot of the stereotypes. Um, but I don't feel like it's necessarily a conversation that needs to be had always for whatever reason for anyone. It's either safety, preference, whoever needs to know needs to know sort of thing. Mm. Um, so my dad is not someone, like I'm not seeing anyone seriously. So it's not a conversation that like, hey, I'm bringing so-and-so over. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, and I really, if there are LGBTQ plus listeners to just know, or people who are questioning right now, or are in the process of their first comings out, I really encourage you to feel out your situation and figure, like, it's always good to do it. It's never going to be easy, but know your situation and know your safety. Um, and it's okay to not come out immediately or hold that. Like, people love to say, like, you're never going to be happy until you come out. But I am perfectly happy. Like, I am elated all the time like i hang out with my dad i race with him still we have a good relationship and though i don't think coming out will jeopardize that i think that it's not necessarily a conversation that maybe might never need to be had like i might never need to have that conversation i might just say like hey i'm bringing this guy over and that he'll be okay with it because he knows mm -hmm. but yeah that's, there really hasn't been a whole lot of, I mean, I experienced a lot of backlash at school behind my back and I was tokenized for a while as the gay kid, but I loved it. I welcomed it. So that really was, I had it coming, but I think that throughout I grew into this person of like that's just another part of me and I think that is an important thing to realize is you can be gay that can be a big part of who you are and that can be your main personality trait however how I identify is that that is just another part of me I am so much more than just your gay friend you know Mm -hmm. so yeah and i i can attest yeah. you're you're really fun to hang out with you know we t we've talked video games before and mm -hmm. you know we've went and got lunch before and just hung out and you kind of told me about other things that you do particularly like singing you know that's a huge mm -hmm. part of who you are so we you're definitely a lot about star wars too man come on yeah, <laughs> the star wars talks take me back to less jedi but oh. <laughs> but yeah, I can I can attest that there's a lot to you and uh, I appreciate your insight, you know, for for our listeners and for those who just don't know, you know, I feel like and and we'll get to this here in a second, you know, that but sports culture, at least in my experience, hasn't been the most open minded culture, I would say, at least in like, you know, circles like football and basketball that I played in and mm -hmm. things like that. So just being able to get your insight and then, you know, for our listeners to get that insight and thank you for your strength, you know, and 
what you've shown a sharing with us here on this podcast and with the listeners and in your own personal experiences. Yeah, totally. I thank you so much for having a platform that people will be listening to. You know, a lot of people won't get this information in if we didn't have allies like you, which is an incredible, awesome thing that I think is very important and I'm very thankful for. Well, no problem. <laughs> My yeah. pleasure, really. So, and, you know, I'm going to kind of use this time to transition to what I briefly mentioned. What are your thoughts in regard to sports culture and attitude towards the LGBTQ plus community? I guess, you know, in, in your experience, what do you think carding or how has the carding world treated LGBTQ plus members? And, you know, if you can reflect on, you know, your youth experience, would you think that that's like a welcoming environment for members of the community? I would say definitely not. I, I think a lot of, cause I've been dressing up in dresses since the age of five, like with at my friends' houses, I think it's very hush hush at the track at, in the carding community. If you are, it's just kind of like you shove it under the rug. Even So I definitely know a couple of female racers who are identify as gay, lesbian, however they personally identify. But I know a few that are like that, that identify that way. And they kind of have to keep it quiet. And I'm in a similar situation and they're younger. They are in high school. They're kind of at that you end of that youth level um racing and it's and they've known for a while or you know there have been more flamboyant kids when i was racing that even myself in my own prejudice and own upbringing and whatnot that i wouldn't say i bullied but i teased there were a, there was a lot of that and you kind of tease them out of carding because it is that whole community of if you don't if you don't feel like you are part of that community or you don't feel welcome in that quote-unquote family it's you leave you know that's you if you're not feeling it then you leave and you did when you were younger there it was very hard not necessarily for me, because I didn't have those realizations because I had shoved it so far deep within me for my own, because of my own situation. But it was, it's hard for LGBTQ plus people to really be themselves, let alone come out at the track. So do you think that like the kind of the culture, would you say that a lot of it is maybe like the spectators or do you think that it also that this prejudice, this bias, you know, this hazing of sorts occurs at also potentially the club level? Like, is this something that uh, is anti LGBTQ plus sentiment like echoed from the clubs or do you think they're just not pro LGBTQ plus? I would say 
that it's mostly just not pro because they're not anti. I don't feel like it's necessarily like, because I would have been run out for who I am by now if it, they were anti. It's more, they're not pro, they're kind of against it, but I don't feel like they're actively trying to shoo away or persecute people on that level. And the thing with club level carding, at least the club that I'm in, it is spectators are usually the racers or the racers family. So there's not a whole lot of, hey, I'm gonna go to the track and watch this group of people race. They're usually friends, family, and people. So it is kind of that it is perpetuated in a way. Um, it's kind of like a tight knit. Yeah. Yeah. That's sort of definitely okay. how I would describe it. So like, I rarely have guests come and it might be my own thing, but there's not a, I don't see anyone. I don't really know that isn't like, Oh, this is my mom. She hasn't come out to a couple of races or, you know, my sister hasn't come out. That's usually family. If it's a face I don't recognize that's there. I've had maybe over the 16 years that I've been racing, I've had maybe four, five friends come out to a single race each. So mm -hmm. it's just like, not necessarily the place to have extra spectators. You know, there's not a whole lot of place places to watch at most of these tracks. So it is more on that club level that it feels very like not accepting. Yeah. And of course, when I'm asking, you know, are they, you know, not anti or not pro it's, mm -hmm. it's also something and you kind of talked about it too, you know, just because they're not anti doesn't mean that it's a comforting environment to be in. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to, and having studied a little bit of youth sports, you know, one of the key pillars or one of the key needs for, for, you know, kids and this can youth sport is a really wide bridge, you know, it mm -hmm. goes all the way to 18. And then, you know, you have like a lot of semi pro stuff can fall into the same umbrella where, you know, a part of wanting to be in sports is like a community feeling, you know, it's yeah. acceptance, you know? And so I guess what, what are your, some of your thoughts as far as like, I guess what can be done to promote a more accepting environment in carding and I guess if you had to, I mean, not like a raw, not like a straight up number, mm -hmm. but how close do you think carding is? Like, do you think carding is moving in the right direction or do you think that they're kind of stagnant right now as far as being a welcoming sort of environment for LGBTQ plus members? I think carding is very stagnant. It's very much generational. Like there's not a, in this juncture in Colorado karting, there is a lot of my dad raced, so I race. And so it is mm -hmm. kind of pushed that same mentality of who their parents are. And I'm fortunate enough that I don't fall into that same sort of 
obviously there i mean i don't fall into that same sort of pattern of my dad did it so i do it and i have that same mentality and i think the same way but it's not even just about the LGBTQ community in carding. It's they're just very if you're not us, we're not accepting of you. So there's a this is getting a little much, but there's a say Satanist family that is in carding that is uncomfortable with prayer after the national anthem. And they were run out immediately when they finally spoke up about it. And it took them two years to talk uh, to the club to be like, hey, can we do a prayer or can we... And not saying that necessarily. It's, it's just the whole environment of the club and the club mentality in Colorado carding is very stagnant and has been the way it is since I've been in karting, since I was five. Do you think that, and this is just me kind of spitballing here, but do you think that kind of the exclusivity that you're talking about as far as, you know, participation and, you know, kind of the, for some, the financial barrier to get in and also what you're talking about, like, my dad raced, so I'm going to race. You think that has a lot to do with the stagnation of it as far as like, you know, it's it almost sounds like it's the same people, not mm-hmm. not like over and over again, but for lack of a better uh, description, kind of the same people over and over again, like oh, same ideals sure. and stuff. Yeah, where, you know, carting is expensive for the most part, I'm sure. I mean, having carting be my only real sport that I've gotten into my whole life. I don't really know financial situations with other sports and like how much it costs, but you don't, in carting, you have to own your own cart and that means your own engine. You have to buy gas every weekend. You have to have tires for most weekends of a season and it gets to be very pricey and then you could be if you don't know anything about carts, you have to pay a tuner. And so it, it gets pricey. So you have to have a certain level of money to be in carting. And therefore that invites a certain crowd for sure. Gotcha, gotcha. And then I, I guess, so you, you talked about it uh, kind of briefly as far as, you know, your interaction with some other members of a club or part of racing that you called flamboyant or whatever. Do you, have you ever personally faced any, I guess, teasing or discrimination at the level where, where you're at, you know, at, and as you said, you know, you, you said, yeah, I check a lot of the boxes as far as stereotypes go. And like, mm-hmm. you know, do you face discrimination for that at, at the adult level from anybody? Yes. Yes. And no, it's very, very subtle, very microaggressive in a way. It's mm-hmm. very, it's much more of that mind game of like, I can't be that mean to him or I can't, you know, whip it out of him. 
as a lot of these parents usually think is you know if we tease him enough he'll he he or you know if we tease our child enough about this one thing they'll stop and i'm 21 now so people are much more subtle about the way they approach things a lot of the time i get firmer handshakes they i see a lot of you know a lot of people stare a lot of people push their kids away from me um in sort of a team mentality out on the track i never get help out on the track so that comes with bump drafting blocking for other people there's all different sorts of technical technicalities out on the track that you know you need someone else to help you out and i think i do pretty good to having absolutely nobody help me out on the track because they think a lot of the time these kind of people that i am around when i race think that helping me out will make me come on to them and it's like no none of you are my type in any way shape or form so thank you but can we just race <laughs> like adults like uh, move please? along <laughs> yeah please let's just race like adults like we're all just adults here um and so it's not necessarily that oh hey like hey femboy or whatever like whatever they would say to me it's very subtle like hey ponytail is a big one that i get and it's i've taken it as a oh you like my ponytail like and i like my ponytail call me by ponytail i don't care you know and it it, I've gotten tough skin because of all of it. Mm -hmm. But it is that, hey, come on, like, I in no way, shape, or form, it's very much that mentality of people think that LGBTQ plus people will hit on you or are that predatorial sort of person. So a lot, I've experienced a lot of that a lot of that so i don't i hang out with my mom at the track when i used to hang out like when i was a kid i hung out with my friends all day every day all day long mm -hmm. and now it's just me and my mom because no one will approach us because of me and i notice it and it sucks but that's just kind of the way it is and i've gotten used to it in the past couple of years because it was a couple years off that I was able to kind of learn who I was and figure myself out. Um, and I think I came out late enough in life that I realized that I had to kind of cover up a little of who I was. So I definitely like tone it back a lot at the track. So I can at least have conversations with people when I can. I appreciate you sharing your insight and your story about that and really it's a shame that you know i mean you put it in in a way that makes it sound light but you know microaggressions and teasing and bullying and just like you know other people not wanting to communicate with you how hard has that made carding compared to 
I guess like you talked about when when you were a kid and it was just okay we're gonna hang out you know like mm-hmm. I mean you know I love hanging out with my mom too but <laughs> at the <laughs> same time you know I'd like to hang out with people my age and you know especially competitors and stuff like that mm-hmm. how hard has it made it to continue to cart I guess it's definitely caused a lot of tension just within my own family because it is like I get really upset unknowingly a lot of the time about like I see my competitors hang out. I see them talking about strategy and they all, that's something that's really bothers me is they all fist bump and like the whole high five knuckles like down the line. And I rarely, rarely get come up to and like good luck before a race. I rarely get a good luck before a race um, from my competitors. And it, it sucks. I feel terrible a lot of the time when that is happening because it's obviously like, oh, if I get too close to him, like, and it's like, dude, no, you know? And so it, it's been really hard. I've thought about it a lot and thought about quitting a lot because when I was younger, gosh, you would hold up a race for five to ten minutes because everyone needed to sing Kumbaya around their carts and, you know, love (laughs) on each other. And obviously I, I was fortunate enough, unfortunate enough, however you want to take it, to not be out when I was younger or not have realized I was gay when I was younger. To have had felt that sort of maybe possible microaggression to the kids that were kind of more flamboyant when they were younger. So I, you know, however you want to take that, I don't really know kind of where that was back when I was a kid. I feel like it's come a lot further just in a societal standpoint. I feel like kids are still going to be nice to each other, but I can't speak from experience if, if, you know, as a kid that was or wasn't happening. Um, Yeah. But like, I definitely feel it now. Well, I applaud the, uh, the thick skin that you mentioned earlier and for you to continue racing, you know, and, you know, I feel like, you know, it's, it's hard when, when you enjoy doing like a specific thing so much, especially competition. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's a reason that the whole world has an Olympics, right? It's because, you know, getting together and competing, you know, it's fun, it's fun to win, it's fun to hang out, you know, and, you know, at the, and this is just an example, you know, at the Olympics, you know, everybody from all kinds of different countries are hanging out, you know? The Olympics has brought together North and South Korea to form a competitive team, right? Like. Sports is supposed to, in in my eyes, it's supposed to be this unifying thing, right? So mm-hmm. it's really frustrating to, you know, see see it tear others down, especially on like the biased level. And you know, I appreciate you sharing your story and some of, you know, your negative experiences regarding you know the carding world and how unfair it, it has been to you be because of your sexual orientation. And yeah. who you are like that's it's ridiculous yeah it's 
it's a lot. I people try to take me out because they find me weaker because I I wouldn't say present more feminine, but I can act. I look maybe you know with my hair down or whatever, and I don't necessarily wrench all that much on my card anymore. Not anymore, but I've gotten better at that. I'll give myself some credit. I know how to <laughs> little pat on the back. Yeah, I know how to fix my card up a little bit, but because I'm not necessarily as dirty or like in it as a lot of these other guys, they see me as weaker and they will try and take me out and then they get shocked when I fight back. And yeah, it's just a lot. It I I've had to develop a thick skin because it is, it's unfair, it's awful, but it's what I love. It's what brings me and my dad closer together and keeps my whole family running. It's in our blood and I'm not quitting because some, you know, 26 year old is homophobic. It's how it is. Well, thank you for showing that strength on the track and way to push back, you know. Um, I I can't even imagine how tough that is. And for for you to do it, you know, on a constant basis is is really something to admire. And, you know, that that's what I do is, uh, is I admire your strength on the track and, you know, off the track too, like you said, in between races when, when you're facing those microaggressions. And I hope that, you know, kind of like what you're saying, a little bit of optimistic, you know, we like to think glass half full. It's easier to think that way. It's more encouraging to think that way that hopefully the, you know, culture gets a bit more accepting. And I mm -hmm. guess what, what are some things that, what are some solutions or, well, I don't want to call them solutions because, you know, I feel like that this is going to be a transition, you know, changes super slow and it's that's mm -hmm. frustrating in and of itself but what are some solutions or ideas on how to change you know hostile sport environments to be safer and more welcoming and more constructive for lgbtq plus members you know because in sports we want to find the best version of ourselves and we want to improve and you know that that's a way of doing it for a lot of yeah. people is to participate in sports so i guess you know what are some of your thoughts on how to approach that, you know, I guess specifically in the carding world, but I guess, you know, if you want to take a crack at other sports too, as far as how to progress there, what are some of your thoughts on that? Definitely. I, I think first and foremost, it's allyship. Like this is such an incredible platform in any situation. I think it's very important to use whatever privilege you are given as a human person to amplify voices of people who are having you know are not necessarily oppressed some are but it's incredibly important so i applaud and thank you so much for this opportunity to use my voice on a platform that you know might get through to some people so that's something that's super important and i think this is an incredible opportunity for the community as a whole and using your voice is very important and thank you for being my megaphone my mouthpiece right now um i think that is a huge huge proponent because it reaches voice it reaches ears that 
normally would fall deaf if we would directly go to them. It's allyship is super important. So I think in like adult in an adult sports level sort of area that we are in, allyship is super important. Using that voice, speaking up when you see these sort of microaggressions. Um, with kids, it's what we see. We have to fight for kids. It's if I were to see a kid be teased for, you know, having longer hair, or maybe a girl who is a little too tough, quote unquote, you you stand up for that kid. That kid is has a totally different viewpoint on the world that is super important and not saying, you know, these other kids have viewpoints that aren't important, but I think it's an incredibly valuable to stand up for these kids who maybe don't feel strong enough to do so themselves yet. Um, I'm fortunate enough to have found my strength before these microaggressions or whatever were coming towards me and were affecting me. But a lot of kids shut down and they suppress and they conform. And I think it's incredibly important to nip that in the butt as soon as possible and shut it down when kids are being, you know, in in a sports environment especially, it is really easy to kind of get heated and emotional and, you know, be more open with how you speak and how you act because you your guard is more down because sports bring that adrenaline out in everyone. So I think it's very important to teach, have those teachable moments, especially if you're a coach, if you are in any sort of leadership position in sports at large, please, please stand up for those kids watch out for those kids make sure that they stay because they're just as important as your star player and they may be your star player and in that moment or in a couple of years because lord knows i should not be winning races and doing well because of the stuff that you know i don't get help from other people but i'm still up there i'm still doing well and it's because i have found strength. Be that strength for that kid. That is an incredibly, be that ally, be that strength. Use your voice when their voices can't be heard. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, uh, through some of my education, I feel like a lot of, a lot of coaches are underqualified in the realm of sports. Um, whether that's on a physical, mental, psychological, or orientation, uh, yeah. gender identification level. A lot of people are uneducated and I feel like that's a huge part of the problem. And like you said, you know, as, as adults and, you know, as someone who's currently working in, I, I currently coach high school football right now, you know, and mm -hmm. I got to try and present that welcoming environment, you know, and it, it's, it's happened already. I've, I've been coaching just a little over a week now. And, you know, some kids will say slurs. I'm like, Hey, we don't, do that here that's inappropriate mm -hmm. you know that's not right so you know it, it takes voices and it takes work and it's going to take more work 
Yeah. I definitely agree that, you know, that there needs to be, especially for kids, you know, they really don't have the means to fight for themselves, you know, because mm -hmm. they're not in a position of power. They're not in a position of autonomy, like at all. Yeah. So I definitely agree with you on that point. And, you know, just hopefully, you know, as really a uh, big part of our society as a whole is kind of turning a page and trying to progress and take that step forward towards being more open-minded and less arrogant or ignorant, what, whatever word you want to use, it's both. But, yeah. um, you know, as our society takes that step, we'll hopefully start to see some other things take steps in that direction. So mm -hmm. I definitely echo that sentiment for you. And then I guess this is a little bit off script, but how much of a role do you think role models have to play in it? Because, you know, you, you talked about allies a little bit and, you know, while I am trying to do my part, you know, mm -hmm. well, I'm not making money off of this podcast yet, unfortunately. So yeah. like, you know, uh, I have a rather small voice and the presence of LGBTQ plus athletes in any sport is fairly low. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's including historically, a lot of athletes will come out after they're out of sport, right? because yeah. they didn't feel safe when they were playing the professional sport or they didn't think they'd be kept. So I guess how much of a role do you think, or how big do you think it would be if, you know, a major racer of some sort came out openly gay or something along those lines and kind of provided uh, a hero of sorts to look up to? Because a lot of youth sports is, you know, and, our, our co-host Simon talks about it a lot because his family immigrated from the Philippines, you know. Yeah. He's he said it's kind of a bummer that there's not a whole bunch of professional Filipino athletes, yeah. much less Asian athletes and like football is like his sport of choice, you know. Yeah. So how much do you think that representation and role models kind of plays a role into it? It's it's a it plays a major role. I talked to my mom about this. Um before coming on and talking about how it's really i had absolutely no one to look up to when when we were kids there were barely any gay athletes just at large um and we talked about how in sports there are a lot more lesbians or gay women that are in sports because that's the stereotype they fulfill i guess um, which I hate stereotypes because of it, but I think it's a much more welcoming environment for gay girls, even though it still has a long way to go. And I do have absolutely no experience in that. So don't quote me on that, but <laughs> it's definitely, I feel like at least a little bit more accepting on that end, but I had no one and it was hard because I was like, where do I go from here? I think role models in not only sports, but in a lot of categories is it's very important to have that diversity and have those role models to look up to because, you know, I looked up to girl racers, though I identify as a man, it, the way they acted, the way they were, the way they had to fight for things somehow resonated with me deep down. And I think that's both awesome that I could still have sort of that gateway to identify and have a role model, but it was 
so twisted and distorted to where, what I wanted it to be. Um, so I think it's an incredibly important thing to have multiple role models for every witch, you know, every witch representation, every minority, every group that needs that role model. I think it's very important to have that in all, all walks of life. So my mom and I talked about it, Adam Rapon, um, Gus Kenworthy, that was like one of the first times I personally saw a gay male athlete and was like, whoa, that is a big thing. That's awesome. Um, but it is like your co-host said, like it is not only an LGBTQ issue, it's an issue of all different sorts of things that all different sorts of minorities that aren't represented in all different sorts of sports. And I think that it is very important to change the future of sports and the acceptance within sports to have those role models that are successful. Because it is hard to watch one of your role, role models get a lot of flack for being themselves. So it is, if they're successful, it's it, it's hard, you know, not every athlete is successful, but I think it is very important that they stand their own and they are good. And that is an aspect of them that you can look up to. Absolutely. I agree. And uh, I hear that not every athlete is good. Uh, I say having never played any organized sport past high school, but yeah. Um, yeah, I I appreciate you coming on and you know your your perspective. I'm super grateful for that and you know hopefully like you said learners learn or bleh, listeners we're going to edit that one out. Listeners yeah. learn something by listening to this podcast and hopefully a few more people have more open mind in regards to, you know, LGBTQ+ plus representation in the sports realm. And I guess do you have any lasting questions or comments uh for for our listeners or for me i all i want to say is always have an open heart and open mind because that is when you get to learn and as humans we're learners naturally keep your heart open keep your mind open and just be ready to grow absolutely i i agree a hundred percent with that and Anthony, thank you so much for joining us on the show. And, you know, I'm very excited to share this with our audience. Thank you so much for being on here. Thank you so much, Cody. Use, using your voice. Thank you so much. <laughs> no problem. Have a good one. You too. Welcome to the Cycle 365 mini-series. We're going to be discussing LGBTQ plus representation today on the show. I am your host, Cody Stoffer, And joining me today, we have a very special guest, Cody. Cody, if you would like to introduce yourself. Yeah, hi. Uh, I am the other Cody. Um, <laughs> I 
am 21. I go, I, my pronouns are he, him. Um, I'm gay. And I haven't, I'll be honest, I haven't played sports in a hot minute. But uh, when I was a young boy, <laughs> I played uh, baseball, a little bit of basketball, a uh, little bit of football, and then like half a season of soccer, and then I quit. But yeah, that's the extent. Of my, and a huge, huge hockey fan of all sports. Hockey, hockey's the go-to. Awesome, and you know we'll definitely reference back to those youth sport experiences, seeing that as this is a youth a look into youth sports miniseries. So we'll use kind of like your modern perspectives and reflection, I guess, a lot of the time with the youth sport level. But to start us off, what we do for every time we have a guest is we have two questions regarding sports. And the first one is, what is your favorite sports memory while playing sports? Oh, boy. Oh, while playing sports, easily, there was one, I will never forget this game. There was a game, uh, it was a baseball game. I was on one of the Blake Warriors double A teams. I don't remember which one it was, but I hit inside the park home run, but it ended like typical movie fashion where... I had to slide into home base and the ball was going straight to the catcher. Dust covered the plate and it took a solid second for the dust to clear before the ump called me safe and I hit my first home run. Hey, that's goat status right there. That's what we like to hear. It was sick. <laughs> you, got your, you got your chicken little moment on. <laughs> it absolutely was. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. I love to hear that. And then what is your favorite viewing experience of a sport? So you kind of talked about being a hockey fan. Are we going to hear about that or is it something else? hundred percent. Uh, <laughs> last season when the abs lost game one to the flames, but then came back and swept the next four as a second wild card and beat a top seed or seed. He's like best, one of the best series I've ever watched. Most fun. Oh yeah, I remember us going downtown and watching us spank them in that game five, I believe it was. I think that was the yeah, series clinching game. It was game five. Walking through downtown Denver after we just gentlemanly swept the flames and gave them that first game just to make them feel okay. <laughs> <laughs> or four games later, we won walking through downtown Denver after winning that series. And it was so fun. Yeah, that was definitely a good time. Yeah. So and. Uh, also a fond memory of mine, hanging out hanging out with the boys and watching some Avs hockey. Absolutely. Can't wait to do it again, hopefully soon. <laughs> Cross our fingers, right? Right. So you kind of told us a little bit about your sports background as far as what you played, but I guess here a little bit more in depth if you kind of want to take us through like the history of your sports as best as you remember and like how long you played the sports and what level you got to and stuff like that yeah well my the first sport i ever picked up was baseball uh my sister my little sister played softball my dad played baseball when he was in high school my mom played softball when she was in high school so like, they kind of that was kind of my first sport um i don't exactly know which ages i started playing sports but i played baseball definitely long i'd say probably for like eight years maybe um and then i played football or I only played football for like a season because I injured my knee and then couldn't finish out the next season. <laughs> so <laughs> didn't really get much of football. Um, played probably three years of basketball and all this was of course in between baseball and football. Football was the last one I played. So I didn't really have to worry about that crossing over with 
basketball mm-hmm. or anything. And obviously baseball's in the summer, so that doesn't cross over. Yeah. Yeah, I played baseball the longest, football the least amount of time, and then basketball for like three years. Awesome. And how old were you when you stopped playing sports? Uh, I want to say like 13, maybe. Like I said, it's been a, been a, been a minute since I played sports, <laughs> but at least hey. competitively. Well, that definitely falls into the window of youth sport, you know, because youth sport starts from age as soon as they can catch or kick something to oh. 18 years old or end of high school. So definitely fall into that window. Okay. Now, in regards to um, LGBTQ experiences and stuff, and if, if you're comfortable with sharing, you might asking, how did you come out? I honestly, it was... I just did. <laughs> My coming out story isn't that exciting. Uh, I originally came out, I want to say October of two years ago, so 2018, October of 2018, I came out as bi originally. That's definitely what I thought I was. It was still, I guess, partially kind of repressed feelings in a way. Um, mm-hmm. But that was, it's, I, I don't see it for me personally it just coming out wasn't that big of a deal because it's like you either like me for who I am or you don't like whether I were straight or bi uh it wouldn't matter really or if you like me or not because if you don't I'm not going to talk to you and if you do we'll still be friends <laughs> mm-hmm. it's very just very like I very I didn't think about it too much obviously it was hard and it was my not, not, I don't my parents are more on the conservative side of politics and stuff. So coming out to them was a little more of a challenge, but it really all was, was I just had to sit them down and just kind of say it. I couldn't think about it too much or else I wouldn't have done it. Um, and then I came out as fully gay, I think. Oh God, I don't even remember. <laughs> when I say like three months ago, maybe roughly. Um, I can't, it started just my friends knowing and then kind of spread and then I told my parents like a week ago maybe uh and so that was kind of another one of those experiences it was much easier this time but they it was just it's the same like I said it's uh you either like me or you don't like I'm tired but I was just tired of not being able to be like feel very comfortable in my skin like feel who like feel like I was able to be who I truly am around the people I love the most so I it just it had to had to come out eventually, but yeah, so it's not that exciting of a story, but <laughs> Well, we appreciate your story here and you know, I I can't speak entirely on behalf of the listeners, but you know, there may be someone listening who, you know, may maybe needed to hear that. You know, keep those who want to stick around and you know, those who don't stick around, you know, are, were they really your friend in the first place kind of attitude, you know, that cut and dry boldness, you know. So and That's if, I may, if I may, if there is someone listening who is struggling with the whole coming out process, um, I mean, I know that I was one of the lucky ones who did have very strong support system around me uh, within all my friends and partially my parents. Um, but I know there's a lot of people that don't have that privilege and aren't as lucky as I am. But the one thing I can say or the one piece of advice that I can give is just take your time, like do it on your terms, do it when you feel it's right. Make sure you're in a good headspace when you do it and make sure that you're happy doing it. 
Awesome. That's great. That's great advice. Thanks for sharing that with the listeners. <laughs> so, um, I guess kind of turning the page and using your perspective as a member of the LGBTQ plus community and also being a member of the sports community, what are kind of your thoughts in regards to sports culture and attitudes towards the LGBTQ plus community community within like modern day sports? Yeah. Oh, it's, I, I think it's ex- on the border of being accepting in some sports, but like in sport, like my, like I said, my favorite sport is hockey. Um, and it's, it's awful in hockey. It's so, there's so much homophobia, racism. Um, I mean, those kind of the only two that I know of, uh, in hockey, but it's, and it's awful there. Um, I, there's also a lot of fans that come with the sport that kind of ruin it and give it a bad rap. Um, so I'm not quite, I don't know about the like actual players and staff and employees of like the MLB or NBA or NFL or MLS or anything like that. So I can't really speak much on them, but I've done a lot of kind of diving into my, into hockey as my own, like, just kind of trying to educate myself of like where I stand in the hockey community, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I guess speaking on to that note of the hockey community and you talked about how some fans give it a bad rep. How is that for you being a gay man, knowing that some people might not be accepting of you, depending on where you are or who you talk to at, you know, maybe a live hockey event or maybe a sports bar? Like, how do you kind of, I guess, not deal with it, but how do you approach it? I mean, I try to do my best kind of to stay away as best I can stay away from those people. And obviously when you're out in public, like if you're say you're at a bar or something, um, and you're just hanging out and like you're with a couple of your friends and someone assumes by the way you're dressed, even if it's not just me, like someone assumes you're gay or knows you're gay and comes up and starts bad mouthing you and trying to get in your face and stuff. It's just you really just have to kind of I guess stay calm in a way. Uh let them they're the ones that are struggling with it so much and i mean it hurts and it's annoying that it even is an issue that people have to deal with but it's that's why we have to keep using our voices in a way and speaking up against it and it's so important when players like brayden holpe the goalie for the capitals like he's a huge advocate for lgbtq plus rights uh i've seen every pride parade very outspoken about it so it's very important when players especially speak up about it because fans can stop supporting it all they want but that's not going to change anybody's stance like that's not going to do anything so it's very important to use your user voices to make sure that we are accepted where we belong yeah for sure and i, I can't imagine like you said trying to remain calm through someone you know attacking you so i i applaud your courage and your patience with that and then kind of i want to kind of build off of what you brought up with the athletes speaking out how do you think allyship i mean you said that you're primarily speaking about the nhl do you think allyship is where it needs to be in the nhl or should there be more well i think it's important that they're are more um, not only allyship in the NHL, but more LGBTQ players that are out and 
able to be themselves but like we like i said earlier i know that it's not an accepting place in like the locker rooms say uh i know there was i can't remember which league it was in but it wasn't in the nhl but there was another hockey league where someone did finally come out and was very accepted by his teammates and it was he's like one of the only openly gay hockey players that i know of so it was great seeing him come out and like it was a huge moment for me personally seeing it because it was like wow like there is a chance that this sport could actually be accepting one day. Yeah, for sure. And I think, so I, I'm going to do a little plug here for um, this, this other podcast that I listened to called the ball girls pod. And they actually had a gay hockey player on their show. It was, um, Oh my gosh. It was Brock McGillis. I'm not sure if that's the same guy that you're talking about, but he was openly gay in a, not the NHL, but another hockey league. And he spoke on his experiences. So if you haven't checked that out, I highly recommend it. That's the ball girls. You can find them on Spotify and it's called locker room talk with Brock McGillis. So there's definitely some insight there and maybe a story that you like to look into personally. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So definitely that recommendation and that for our listeners as well. Now, do you, so we talked a little bit about a little bit about you know, homophobia exists, and we've seen stories about it break out on NHL and on ESPN where coaches have been fired and teammates have been cut or been caught saying homophobic slurs as well as racial slurs. Do you believe that this has been echoed in youth sport, not only in hockey but across other sports? Oh, I'm sure. I obviously I can't speak for from personal experience on this like exact scenario I'm going to talk about, but. I'm sure in high school sports, it's awful. I can't imagine that it would be like a very, I guess, uh, accepting area. It's just because high school, high school boys primarily are awful. And so it's, I'm sure when it comes to youth sports, obviously not like, like little league, like children's sports, but like in high school sports, I'm sure it's, there's, a, it gets, I'm sure it gets tossed around a lot. Some of those racial and homophobic slurs. And would, would you say in your experience in youth baseball that there may have been, I guess, not homophobic slurs, but maybe homophobic biases? Or would you say that youth baseball, at least when you were playing, would you assume that to be a safe or welcoming environment for anyone of the LGBTQ plus community? Um... I want, well, from my experience, it wasn't necessarily unaccepting, but looking back, there's definitely some things like saying things like, and if I made a bad throw in practice or something or in a game, and like having the coach say, like, you throw like a girl or like saying just those like demeaning things and like the enforcing like gender stereotypes. Um, I think that's kind of falls under that homophobia and. I guess just it's just not it's not like things that you should be t- yelling at a child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, and, I, and I and I don't mean to laugh, but I, I get what you're saying as far as like it's it's ridiculous, you know? Yeah, like you get called a sissy, you get called a girl, you get called a priss, like you get called all these like just demeaning things, and like Maddie that you're gonna have on here, Maddie and Freya, they I'm sure Maddie could throw a ball farther than I could. I haven't thrown a ball in years, but. Maddie's, like, she was, she's good at softball. <laughs> she could throw a ball farther than I could. Absolutely. 
Yeah, for sure. And you know, I some of those, you know, some of those names and slurs that you just brought up, I that's not welcoming, especially for a kid that's maybe feeling different and, you know, potentially figuring out that they're not hetero, you know, like that doesn't reinforce them being able to be themselves, really. Exactly. It really pushes them further into the closet, I guess, is probably the best way I like to say it. It's, it's not, it's very repressive and allowing them to really discover who they are. Now, did, would, so you brought up that coaches would say these things. Do you think that would teammates repeat some of the same things? I mean, we all know, or I'd assume a lot of people know the sand lot. And one of the most famous lines is, you throw like a girl and that's considered like the end all, all insult of the movie that has aged horribly and you know wasn't okay to say in the first place but would you say that your teammates and you don't have to name names but you know would say some of the same things because their coaches were saying it well in the first like the first couple of years that i was playing baseball it wouldn't really happen because i was on team with like all my friends and it was like all my elementary school friends so it was like if anyone did say it, like everyone else's parents would know because they're all in the stands. Um, yeah. But when I started going to play for like Warriors, like double A, um, I think that there were definitely uh, a couple people that would repeat it, especially because, and this is a whole other tangent I could go on because there was favoritism on the team um, because one of the players was the coach's son. And so, there's a whole bunch of favoritism and like they were all he had a bunch of friends on the team that had been friends for a while and i was kind of like the the new kid so it's just kind of like you have to prove yourself and really fight for your spot on the team especially and to be accepted by everyone because everyone already has that base friendship and foundation and obviously like family relationship because it's a father son so favoritism is a whole another topic that definitely plays into the uh, I guess, parroting of those kind of demeaning phrases and names. Yeah. And so having studied youth sports myself, I can, I can verify that there's, there's a couple of pillars to youth sports as far as what children are hoping to gain. Right. So one of them is like autonomy, you know, being able to be trusted and kind of work things out there themselves. Another thing is to feel competent. And another thing is acceptance, you know, so kind of what you're saying, you, you talked about playing baseball as a kid with a lot of your friends. It was a lot of fun. And then going into a new environment where, you know, kind of everyone else were friends and you're like the new kid that creates a barrier. And we can apply this same, you know, this same philosophy or theory as well to LGBTQ plus athletes, where, like you said, if a coach is saying, Hey, you're throwing like a girl trying to be, you know, negative in their statements or, you know, what, or slurs, like you said, at the high school level. And I can verify having played in a high school football locker room that it is bad in there. It is, I, sure, it is disgusting. It's disgusting is what it is. And so you're, you're, you're right on that guess. You weren't off the mark at all. Like that was, that was a hundred percent out of a hundred percent. I had a hunch. So, you know, that, and so for any kids that, you know, are maybe potentially closeted, you know, this A doesn't make them feel welcome on the team and B 
probably keeps a lot of kids in the closet because, you know, they feel like if they come out, then a lot of their relationships on the team will change where they won't feel welcome on the team or the team won't welcome slash accept them. Exactly. Yeah, no. And there's something else I want to say. I saw something on, um, but I saw something on TikTok earlier. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead and bring up TikTok. It's, it's fine. It's fine. We're talking about everything that we see and everything that we know. And TikTok exactly. is more the cultural, right? But it was, it was something about how, it was this girl talking about how childhood trauma isn't only, like, a physical or emotional thing that, like, people, like, it's not something you can always see happening to a child. So, like, it's, honestly, I can say, like, after, like, growing up around those kind of phrases and, like, being told that, like, if you don't carry yourself a certain way, like, you're too feminine to be considered a man. Uh, like you have to be super masculine. You have to be, you have to work out. You have to play sports. You have to like sports. You can't like anything quote unquote girl. Uh, and I could, I feel like it's obviously, I don't know if I, trauma is necessarily the word I'd apply to it, but it's definitely, uh, I don't exactly, I don't know what word to put it to, but it's definitely, it definitely adds onto the pressure of coming out when you are old. Um, Cause you don't know how people accept you and you don't want to act in a way that people don't like so it's like that's why i said earlier in the podcast like do it when you're comfortable come out when you're comfortable and come out when you're happy and in a good headspace because when i came out i did not care what people thought about me at all and i was like hey like people are gonna accept me or not so the end all be all of who my friends are basically well i and i appreciate you actually opening that up and talking about a little bit, you know, that there's long-term repercussions to what people say. And, you know, that's, that's certainly an angle that I didn't really think about, you know, that things that you heard as a kid factor into, you know, how you come out even years later. So I, I really appreciate that perspective. And I'm sure that our listeners do too, because that's certainly, I haven't come across that train of thought yet. So Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, and I didn't even, I honestly hadn't even thought about it until I was on TikTok earlier today and saw that and was thinking about coming on here. And I was like, that actually, like, that kind of explains a lot. Like, that kind of makes sense. I mean, and it's, and it's part of that, that culture and that society, you know, where, you know, I mean, I'd say that, you know, obviously in sports, there's still infinite room for growth, you know for acceptance of LGBTQ plus communities as well as other communities as well. But, you know, sports is a reflection of society as well. So, you know, we have to progress in kind of both things, if not society first, for sports to come along a little bit as well. And I think that we've seen that a little bit in the past few years, you know, and obviously over the course of history, we've seen that a lot, but especially recently with more and more athletes coming now, either right after they retire or, you know, sometimes even during their athletic career. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. So, and I guess I kind of just have one more, one more big question for you here, at least off the top of my head right now is, uh, what are some solutions or ideas on how to change any hostile sports environment to be safer, more welcoming and constructive for LGBT? Do plus members now whether you're talking and you can kind of talk about 
you know, coaching at the youth level that coaches need to be aware of stereotypes and prejudices and get around that and through it for a more welcoming environment at the youth level. Or you can talk about the fan experiences as well, honestly. Well, like you said, there's room for improvement in all areas of every sport um, when it comes to acceptance. And I think for the coaching level in youth sports, absolutely, they need to stop enforcing those stereotypes of you throw like a girl and you run like a girl. It's so, so lame, <laughs> so dumb. Because um, these are your kids. And if you wouldn't talk to them that way, don't let coaches talk to them that way. Your coach, just because your coach is uh, in a position of power, does not mean you have to respect them, which applies to a lot of people in this current day and age. <laughs> <laughs> that that is true that is true but anyway um, I, don't, I don't mean to cut you off there but it's just it's I it's i out. have to laugh through it otherwise i'm just gonna be mad through it right absolutely <laughs> absolutely um and then also like you said earlier like allyship and having those allies in these sports whether it be High school sports, college sports, professional, uh, minor league, like whatever level of sports it is, having allies speak out for people. Uh, maybe not, I shouldn't say for people, but having speak, having allies speak out against people that disagree with it is so important. And it, I, I personally am so grateful for those people because they're pushing the acceptance boundaries and really trying to drill it into people's heads that being homophobic isn't okay which is so ridiculous that you even have to say that to somebody yeah but like it's it's some people a lot of people have those beliefs that uh it's it's a i don't want to say a sin because obviously not all christians um or not all catholic like not all uh, not every religious faith has that belief that homosexuality is a sin but um yeah, the allyship, um, that I think that could start and really holding teammates and having ally coaches hold their uh, players accountable for saying things or doing things. And I know in the NHL, a few people have, a, a few players have been like fined and cut for saying racial or homophobic slurs, which is great. Um, I think cut, I don't think it should be a fine. I think it should be a cut because obviously it's not okay. It should be a punishment. It shouldn't be an insult. Um, and then, and the fans, I gotta be honest, it's, it's, the fans are what we fight against, what the LGBTQ plus fights for or fights against every day. It's just people that we come across every day that don't want to see us have the same rights as them or be on the same, be treated on the same level or given the same opportunity as them. Um, I think they're scared of losing their quote unquote power over um, oppressed groups. Um, so the fans, I don't, I really can't think of a solution in that area because it's so, it's too broad. Um, that's going to be the over, that's going to be the one that's going to take the longest to convince that really needs convincing that um, it's okay to be LGBTQ plus in sports. Absolutely. I definitely think that that's going to be a long process. And you bring up a great point about, you know, I guess they see it as a quote power struggle, but really 
it's it's a power struggle for the LGBTQ plus community to just be recognized and accepted, you know. So getting them to recognize, I mean, a lot of, and I'm not saying all, but you know, a lot of people don't recognize that they have privilege just for being straight, even though it definitely it definitely exists. Like I know that I have a privilege being a straight man, especially you know whether that's going to a game whether that's going out for a job you know as far as like who i am and what i'm allowed to show in order to kind of get that job versus what someone from the lgbtq lgbtq plus man it's a tongue twister let me try and say it fast um community has to go through for a lot of the same things yeah uh and that's see and that's the allyship that we're looking for it's the people that acknowledge they have like the the privilege and they use that to their advantage to help just help us fight <laughs> so it's very important to all of us understandable and so i guess this is kind of like a, a side shoot question because you're talking about allyship in in the nhl how monumental do you think it would be to have you know an openly gay coach or player in the National Hockey League, how monumental would that be, not only for the NHL, but for the LGBTQ plus community in regards to the NHL? It, I think it would be groundbreaking, honestly. I think it would really shake up the league and really bring, I honestly think it brings the worst out of people and really show which players are that, uh, that homophobic, that really don't want to be in the same league or on the same team excuse me on the same team as that player or coach or whoever it may be um and i mean as much as i would love for it to happen i it's a scary environment in the locker room i'm sure because of those players and coaches that may be very against it very homophobic um but if it ever did happen to have someone openly gay in the nhl i think the best way it would happen was would be to have them drafted especially not just have someone come out but to have a player, an openly gay player drafted by the NHL, I think would be monumental. I think it's huge. I agree, that'd be huge, you know, and, and I applaud for, you know, wh- whoever's trying to work through that, maybe potentially in the NHL or anybody who, whoever that may be, you know, because it's hard. Even even today, as, as far as we come, there's still a lot of ground to cover, you know, and we saw it a couple years ago with the NFL with Michael Sam, who's... Yeah draft stock and mental state plummeted i mean you know a lot of people reference his combine scores but people don't reference you know the hate mail that he received prior to the combine you know from the game they don't reference the you know the, the threats or the lack of calls that he got you know which right. led to him retiring out of the sport before he was even three years old so you know, it's going to be a tough road for wh- whoever that may be or whoever that is, and for those who have already gone through it, you know, because there's been closeted players that have played in, you know, I'd assume all the major big sports, you know, there's a lot that come out after retirement. There's some that just may never come out, you know, so I also applaud them for gritting, gritting their teeth and, you know, hopefully sports becomes a better and more welcoming place for the LGBTQ plus community. It sucks that people feel like they even have to wait until their career is done to finally be like, okay, like, I can finally come out now because I'm safe and I don't have to worry about anybody sending me hate or 
ruining my image. And I mean, some people do have to worry about ruining their image, and losing money or sponsors or whatever it may be. So yeah. it's just, it's, it's, a, it's an uphill battle. For sure. So I guess just kind of to wrap things up, do you have any other, I guess, uh, comments or statements that you want to make regarding LGBTQ plus representation or uh, sporting environments? I'm trying to pick and choose my word carefully. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. And, and if you don't, if you don't like what you say, you know, just like this sentence that I started, I can chop it out. The power of editing. Right. So. <laughs> I think it's just, it's so important to reinforce that you speak up when you see injustice. And obviously right now, and like this, and the, right now is the, we're living through a revolution currently. Like if there's no bigger inspiration to you to speak up about injustice you see or you face, I think it's, it's it'll come in time, but use your voice because it's, it's much much more powerful than you think it would be and i've i always held my mouth shut and i just kind of kept to myself whenever i would hear things or see things that i didn't like or didn't agree with because i thought i'm I, there's no place for me to speak on this like i shouldn't have to think about or i shouldn't have anything to say about this but it's just gotten to a point and every aspect and so many aspects of so many different things and especially like the lgbtq plus uh, acceptance in sports where you see things and you hear things where you just can't keep your mouth shut anymore and you just have to say something and that it's you really someone could see it especially if it's on the internet someone could see that and you could inspire them to speak out and it just could hold, start a whole chain reaction thing so it's very important to use your voice whether you are part of the lgbtq plus community whether you're an ally um it's use your voice speak up take action just do something and speaking up it doesn't matter if you're signing a petition donating money to uh charities that help with UGB lgbtq plus uh youth um but it whatever like as long as you're doing something that's you're contributing absolutely and i i i want to echo that sentiment that you brought up you know where you know, one of one of my favorite statements as of late, and we brought it up on our um, Black Lives Matter episode. You know, in, you can apply, you know, just worded differently. You know, on the BLM episode, it was, it's not enough to not be racist. You have to be anti-racist, and you can apply that here too. It's not enough to not be homophobic. You have to be anti-homophobia. You know, absolutely, and absolutely. and call those people out and try to educate them. You know, if because I mean. I mean, if they're willing to listen and if they're willing to change, you have to jump on that too, you know, yeah. because then they can go educate others as well. So I really like that you brought that up. And, you know, I think that that's one of the best points that can be made. And as sad as it is to say, some people are just a loss. Like you will never be able to change how some people think. But if someone, like you just said, if you if someone's willing to listen, you jump on that opportunity to teach them and educate them the best you can. And if you can't personally do it, give them at least like ideas of what to look up and how to educate themselves. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. Do you got uh, anything else for us? I, I mean, I do it for the girls and the gays. That's it. I bet. <laughs> well, 
thank you so much for joining us and being on this episode and sharing your story and perspective. I'm super grateful for it. And, you know, hopefully our listeners also appreciate it. Yeah, they better be appreciated. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you so oh, much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, tell, tell Maddie and Freya that I say hi next week um, or whenever you see them, I guess. Uh, and then also tell them that we grab drinks. <laughs> Absolutely. Sounds good. And I'll be seeing you around. Yeah, around. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for joining, Cody. Thank you. All right. So I hope you all enjoyed Anthony and Cody's interviews. First off, I apologize for some of the sound quality in that last interview, but we'll get it fixed up by next week, hopefully when we have Freya and Madison over. So make sure you give us a like, a share at the cycle 365 on all of our social medias. That's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And then if you've already found us, uh, then you know where to find us for listening and streaming. We are on all major streaming platforms at Spotify, Apple Podcast, and eventually YouTube for this mini-series as well. So yeah, tune in next week and thanks for rocking with us. Peace. Peace.